Ramble. One guaranteed way to make me cry is just remind me of the lifespan of dogs compared to most humans. Listen, my dogs, Mango, I know, Rotten Mango, and Tiger have been with me since before I started YouTube, before this podcast, and I truly don't know where I would be without them. But like, all I can do right now is spend time with them, take care of them so that they live the happiest and healthiest life that I can give them. Farmer's Dog is such a huge part of that. Farmer's Dog makes it easy to keep your dogs healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. So Farmer's Dog, they make and deliver fresh, healthy dog food, and it's recommended by vets. My vet literally recommended me Farmer's Dog. It's nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. Tiffany has been bringing Cola, her French bulldog, over, and she keeps some of his food at her house. She said that she's been having such a hard time trying to get him to eat, so I offered her some of Mango's food to give to him. She was amazed. She said that she's never seen Cola so pumped for food. Farmer's Dog is the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's it's not kibble, it's not canned goop, it's real food. With traditional dry or even wet food options, they're extremely processed. I mean, I can hardly understand the ingredients that go into it, and it's really hard to portion. It's difficult to understand if my dogs are getting the nutrients that they need. Farmer's Dog comes pre-portioned, and it's based on my dog's unique nutritional needs. So Mango and Tiger, they eat different meals, and it's so cool. Farmer's Dog is like human-grade food made in safe kitchens. My dogs have been on Farmer's Dog for years now, ever since Mango was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and I just noticed so many changes. They've got a healthier coat, healthier skin, their breath is better, and right now, you can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Let the Farmer's Dog know that we sent you. So use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Bada bing, bada boom. Have you ever imagined a serial killer taking a poo? I know that's really not the way that you want to hear a podcast when you like click on this video. Uh, hi, if you're new here, you're like, let me just listen to this girl. What does she have to say? I'm like, hey, have you ever thought about Ted Bundy taking a big old poo poo? So I used to do this head exercise where anytime I would get really creeped out about serial killers, like knowing that there's serial killers out there, like there are active serial killers out there, serial killers that we haven't even talked about on this podcast because they're out there killing people right now as I'm filming this. Sometimes I get all up in my head about it and I'm like, these people are real. These are not just people that we talk about. Like these are real ass people. And then I just like have this moment, like this quarter life crisis. And then I'm like, okay, just think about them pooping. Just think about them pooping. And then suddenly it's not so scary anymore because you know, when a serial killer is pooping, how scary is it? You know, with their pants around their ankles, they're on a toilet, they all poop just like you and me. But then, but then I got, I got into some serial killers who really like poop play. So then I was like, well, that doesn't no longer work for me because now I just imagine that serial killer making me eat their poo. And that's like even scarier than before, you know? And so I had to come up with a new brain exercise about the weird ways serial killers get caught in their crazy serial crimes. I mean, think about it. Like these people, they're going around evading the police years at a time. Some of them, right? Some of them have above average intelligence. We almost kind of, I wouldn't say we put them on a pedestal, but we make them seem like these mastermind villains. And then they get caught in the dumbest way and you're just like how are you so dumb i mean it's gotten to the point where psychologists literally believe that towards the end of active serial killers killings a lot of them want to be caught that's why they do some dumb shit
Mm. And I'm like, or maybe they're just dumb. I don't know. So to give you a couple of examples. So today we're talking about a very infamous serial killer in the United Kingdom by the name of Dennis Nilsson. And he was a crazy necrophiliac, a pedophile, and just like a serial killer who boiled people. I mean, it gets really intense. He, um, a lot of people in the United States call him the British Jeffrey Dahmer. There's a lot of pickles to pick about that one because they were actually active at the same time. So the year that Jeffrey Dahmer started killing, Dennis Nilsson started killing in the UK. And it's kind of weird because he's not even British. Uh, he's actually from Scotland, but he was active in London. So there's a lot of pickles to pick about that one. And I also saw a Reddit thread about how people were complaining about how everyone in America thinks everything's from America. They're like, why can't it be the American Jeffrey Dahmer? Like the American Dennis Nilsson. Why does yeah. it have to be the British Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so exactly. it's, a, it's a little weird, especially because Dennis Nilsson was caught prior to Jeffrey Dahmer being caught mm. so all sorts of strange but let's talk about BTK real quick so if you guys don't know BTK was an infamous serial killer in the United States his name is Dennis Radar but he was called BTK because he would bind his victims then he would continue to torture them then he would eventually kill them and he was I mean he was just straight up evil I mean he looks like a hamburger but he was evil and it's just crazy because he had like a whole loving family behind the scenes and he was just going out he worked for a security company that's how he was able to get into people's homes and he would just kill them now he really loved media attention like he loved getting that ego stroked he was like yes baby harder and he one time asked the police hey listen police I've got a quick question for you now be honest he even told the police be honest with me okay I know you're trying to catch me I'm killing people but be honest if I communicate with you via floppy disk can it be traced back to my computer what's the answer to that of course not you know? yeah the police were like absolutely not I, we don't even know what a floppy disk is wow you're so technologically advanced so the police put out an ad and they say no we can't trace you so then Dennis sends them a freaking floppy disk it gets traced back to his church yeah by the way did I mention he was like a family man going to church and stuff his computer broke at home so he went to the church to work on that floppy disk and they caught Dennis Radar because he asked about a floppy disk and mm. when the police arrested him he was so shocked he asked the police how come you lie to me how come you lied to me <laughs> and the police were just so confused the at audacity. the audacity that this man had Richard Ramirez otherwise known as the night stalker in Los Angeles he would he murdered people he entered homes and he murdered people now the day that he got caught he tried to carjack a woman and um, the car ended up being like in neutral or something so it rolled down and hit like a like a building so he wasn't able to carjack that woman then he tries to carjack a different woman now at this point they started alerting the police and the woman's neighbor comes out while she's fighting back Richard Ramirez punches her in the stomach gets into her car car and the neighbor was like i don't think so so he opens up the car door pulled richard ramirez out and was like hey I'm, get my two sons i need them to help me restrain him because richard ramirez's photo has been like out there for some time now so mm. all of these neighborhood ajumas which means like old ladies like i'm talking housewives i'm talking grandmamas like they all came out and they called the police and they started beating richard ramirez to a pulp like they just fucking I don't know they jumped the dude they jumped a serial killer they jumped Richard Ramirez until the police came like he was all beat up and battered for his mugshot <laughs> does that really sound like the night stalker to you like getting beat up by some neighborhood ajumas like really also I just found out that in Russian babushka means ajuma I had no idea 
So like imagine a bunch of like babushkas and ajumas that come out and they just freaking beat up a serial killer. Uh-huh. I find that to be absolutely insane. <laughs> Now this one is going to be really, really odd. So this all takes place, like I said, in London. And there was a house in London that was split into six different flats. So, I mean, I, I guess I would call it... About- The yeah, we're going into okay. Dennis Nilsson. Sorry, there was no... <laughs> okay, okay. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Because this one, it's got to do with drains. Yeah. There was a house in London, right? And there's six units inside of this building. And there's, I believe, multiple different landlords. And they just rent out the units. I don't think... It, it's You get it. It's like an apartment building, but it looks like a house. And they were having a massive plumbing situation. All of the residents were complaining about blocked drains. They were like, listen, I can't even... Like, my sink is clogging up. My toilet's not flushing. I don't know what's going on so the landlord eventually calls the plumber and the plumber goes into the pipes of one of the units and he successfully unclogs it and he's like well you're good to go now the the plumber did mention to the landlord after like thanks for the payment but um man that was one of the worst stinkiest shit i've ever smelled like i i don't know what that tenant is doing i don't know what these tenants in this entire building is doing but that that was the stinkiest drain i have ever unclogged so you might you might you know be interested in looking at like a really intense plumber because it seems like there's a deeper lying issue maybe you got some sewage pipes that are coming in like i don't know like it just it's just not good news lady right and so they're like okay well thank you now quickly that same flat started having drainage issues again So then the landlord is like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to call in a heavy duty plumber instead of like a maintenance man. I'm going to call in like a crazy plumbing company and they're going to go look in the pipes underneath the house, like not mm-hmm. just like a little Drano down the sink situation. Yeah. So the heavy duty plumbers come in and they came in around like dawn, like nighttime. Is dawn nighttime? Dawn's not nighttime. Dawn is the sun. Dusk. They came in around dusk, okay? So, like, during nightfall, like, sunset time, golden hour. I'm more familiar with these terms. The plumbers come in, and they take a look inside of underneath the house at the pipes. And when they open up a particular drainage vent, they start seeing some shit. And one of the plumbers is like, hey, uh, you want to come over here? Because I see some weird stuff. And he's like, does that not look like butcher's prepared meat with like a bunch of bones mixed in? Like it looked like straight up flesh, which is an odd thing to have in the pipes. Like you would think maybe poo. You would think maybe some condoms, maybe some feminine products that shouldn't have been flushed. But like flesh, like who is going around flushing their chicken breasts like down the toilet? That doesn't make any sense. And uh-huh. so his friend is like, oh, yeah, maybe we should call our boss about it because this is really suspicious. So they call call the boss and the boss says listen i think at this point it's a little bit too dark why don't you leave that there and we will come back in the morning and take a look at it because i'm sure it's nothing like i'm sure nobody is putting human meat down the drains guys it's probably some chicken breast or something so they're like okay sounds good now at this point all of the tenants had come downstairs and they were kind of investigating because they're like you know what i have been having drainage issues so what the fork's going on you better tell me who's flushing condoms who's flushing paper towels you know mm-hmm. who should we talk to and that's when they're like i don't know something weird's there it looks like flesh or something but we'll be back in the morning guys don't you worry about it Mm -hmm. so they go home they sleep for the night the next morning the plumbers come back and all of the meat and the bones had disappeared Mm. so they they had set it aside so that it couldn't be have been washed back down into the pipes Hmm. so that doesn't make any sense you know did like a wild animal come and like get these they just started getting really suspicious so they start investigating through the rest of the pipes and the drains and they don't really find anything until they check a pipe that was on the side of the house Uh so it's no longer under the house but on the side this becomes very pertinent like running down the side you know what i'm talking about 
Oh, like it hasn't hit the ground yet. Yeah,、ah, running down the side. That means it's only from the above units. Oh God, look at you, detective!、Uh-huh. Oh shoot, well, you know. Daddy, chill. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so they look at that pipe. They stick their hand in there because that one feels really jammed too. And that's when they pull out a giant hunk of flesh, and they call nine one one. They're like, "Dude, that's for sure human flesh." So the police get a call that a drain in the regular suburbs, like not even a bad area. They're like, "I think we got some human flesh in this drain." So the police, I don't even know if they were taking it that seriously in the beginning. So they show up to a place called Muswell Hill, and they find out that it was blocked with human remains. So they send this evidence, which is pieces of flesh, a little bit of bones, what looked like knuckles from a human hand, and they sent it to the local hospital for a pathologist to determine is this a human.、Uh-huh. So the pathologist immediately calls the police back and is like, "Whoa! First of all, it's human remains. Second of all, it's a homicide. Third of all." The victim's been strangled, and the police are like, "All right." How do they find out? Yeah,、that? exactly. The police are like, "You've been watching too much CSI. Like, okay, fine. You just need to say that it's human remains. What do you mean it's a homicide? The victim's been strangled. Like I gave you not even a pound of meat. You know what I mean? Like you you need to t- tone down your tits." And they said, "Well, ironically enough, the little piece of flesh that you brought us is a piece of the neck, and there's a clear ligature mark, which means that this person, like nobody's just walking around with ligature marks on their neck at all times. Like it's very rare." It's usually only a homicide, and the fact that they were in a drain—I mean, this person's probably been killed.、Mm-hmm. So the police are like, "Holy shit!" Now they start to realize because the flesh came from the side pipe of the house.、Uh-huh. Only the middle level and the top floor would have used this pipe.、Yeah. So if you were on the ground level and you flush something or you use the sink, it would have just gone straight into a different pipeage situation.、Yeah. And so this one, they're like, "Oh my god, we need to talk to these people. We need to talk to every single tenant on the middle floor, every single tenant on the top floor." There's Now, only a couple of them, though.、No? Yeah. Now when they talk to the landlords, they realize that the middle floor has been、um, vacant for quite some time. And there's only one tenant on the top floor currently in the attic unit, and his name is Dennis Frickin Nelson. So this、done. dude has no criminal record. He has no like no police have any real crazy reason to suspect him of you know dumping human remains into the toilet. But、mm-hmm. they were like, okay, well let's go investigate him, right? So Dennis Nelson at the time he was 37 years old, an executive officer at a local job center. So he essentially just helps people get jobs, right?、Uh-huh. And、um, he just lived on the top floor. So the police come to try to question Dennis, and he he was at work at the time, and he wouldn't be back home until five-ish. So they're like, okay, well let's just wait outside. So、mm-hmm. they. Start talking to some of the ground floor residents, and they're like, you know, we just want to talk to Dennis. Yeah, there were human remains in the drain, and one of the neighbors is like, oh my god, this morning, like before the plumbers came, right?、Mm-hmm. I saw Dennis out and about really early, and he's never out and about, and he was just red in the face. He was sweating, looked like he had just run a marathon, and you know, he's not that active of a guy. And I saw that his arms were really dirty, like up to shoulder length, like he had just. Stuck his arms into like a a vat of mud or something. It was just really odd. But um, yeah, no, I saw that. So the police are like, okay, obviously he's hiding something. So finally, when Dennis comes home, they let him know that they're investigating the block drains. And Dennis is so casual. He just like giggles. He's like, since when are police interested in blocked drains? Okay. And they're like, "Well, we can tell you all about it if you let us inside." So he's like, "Yeah, yeah, for sure. Come on in." Now, when the police walk into that apartment, immediately you already know they get that scent, they get that smell. It just penetrates their nostrils, and they're like, "This is oh god." They even said something along the lines of the atmosphere just feeling full on evil. 
Mm-hmm. So the police let him know, yeah, we're just investigating because we found dun 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 human remains inside the pipes inside this house drainage system. And he's like, oh my goodness, my goodness, how awful, poor human. I wonder what happened to them. Poor human. And that's when the police are like, listen, Dennis, I'm not playing around. Just answer the question. Where's the rest of the body? Oh, they went straight in. They were like, we know it's you. Like, uh-huh. there's no, you know, who else could it be? And he just straight up is like, yeah. Okay, so uh, if you go inside the closet in the other room, there's like two trash bags. You got me. Fair enough. Fair enough, dude. Yeah. Just like that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was just like, fair enough. Go inside the closet. Get two bags. So they go inside the closet. Um, He had to give them keys to the wardrobe. So they open up the wardrobe and they find these two trash bags. They didn't even look inside. They knew from the smell that was coming off. They were like, arrest the mother forker. So they arrest him. They put him into the police car. And it was multiple police officers. So one of them is driving. One of them is sitting in the back with Dennis Nilsson. And in the car, on the way to the police station, the guy in the back sitting with Dennis. By the way, Dennis Nilsson was not handcuffed. They like They weren't expecting to arrest him anyone today so i don't know if they don't carry around handcuffs back in the day or in the uk i don't know maybe they're much more civilized over there but they just like did not carry handcuffs so he was just sitting in the police car i mean obviously the police car was inescapable it's not like he could just walk out of there but he wasn't handcuffed that's when the police officer who was staring at the bags of evidence in the trunk of the car looks at him and goes huh So he said that the bags look too big for each one to just be one human being per bag. Like they were so full. So if you had dismembered someone like they're like, that's too much meat. You know, that's so much meat. Like, I don't understand. So he looks at Dennis and he says, so um, how many bodies are we talking? Like one, two. And Dennis looks at him and just goes, "Uh, 15, I think maybe 16. And the police officer who was driving almost crashed the car at that moment because they did not know they had a serial killer on their hands. They genuinely thought that this was like a crime of passion, a one off. A person killed another person for whatever freaking reason. Maybe it was a money motive. Maybe it was a crime of passion, a love motive, and then flush them down the toilet. But they were not expecting to catch a serial killer today. Like, that wasn't even on the menu. Like, that wasn't even an option. They weren't even really actively looking for a serial killer at the time. So they almost crashed the car. They're like, what the heck? This guy who is an alleged serial killer is not restrained. He's not handcuffed. So the rest of the ride, the police officer in the back just like held onto his arms <laughs> and was like, I am your handcuffs. And they get him. Into oh, the I thought he station. held on his own arms because he's scared <laughs> <laughs> to get dismissed. No. <laughs> yeah. So he just held on to Dennis's arms until he got to the police station. So who the fork is Dennis Nilsson? Let's get into his life. So Dennis Nilsson was born in November 23rd of 1945. Actually, the same day that my sister's fiance was born so that's cool yeah i verified not the same year not the same year he was born 1945 and my sister's fiance was 1940 i'm kidding i'm kidding okay and so he was born to a mom by the name of elizabeth duthie white and his dad's name was olav magnus mokshim um okay that's i'm sorry he is norwegian so i don't know how to pronounce his name i'm butchered that 
completely. So he's the second of three children. He was born in Scotland and his dad was a Norwegian who fought for the free Norwegian forces. So he's like part of the Norwegian army. And at the time he had traveled to Scotland to do work with the free forces. And that's when he meets Elizabeth, who is a Scottish woman and they get married. Like they literally met like weeks ago and they're just like, let's get married. They get married and he really didn't care about Elizabeth at all. He didn't try to buy a house in Scotland for him to come back to. So Elizabeth just stayed with her own parents raising these children. He would breathe come once in a while and just spend time with them with like and and I mean spend time as in he would just like have sex with Elizabeth like he didn't really care to get to know the kids he didn't really care to get to know Elizabeth even he just really wanted to just like come by Scotland and have some sex and leave which seems like a really expensive way to do things but I don't know okay and so um every time he would visit once in a while that's how all three of the kids were conceived Mm. So it wasn't because he was around. It wasn't because he was like home, you know, or like visited once in a while. It was just very, very briefly. He would stop by. They would conceive another child. He would dip. And eventually, obviously, this wasn't going to work, right? So they got a divorce, and both parties just felt like they had rushed into things. So Dennis really grew up never knowing his dad at all. Now, his childhood was very interesting because he was a loner, but he was obsessed with his grandpa. So his mom was kind of obsessive over his uh, siblings. So his older brother and his younger sister, the mom was, like, obsessed with them, very doting with them, just patient. And then with Dennis, she wasn't particularly abusive. She just didn't really care for him, didn't think that he was that special or entertaining or really anything. So his grandpa was his BFF. Now his grandpa was a fisherman. So anytime that he had to go away for work, it'd be like weeks or months at a time. Like it's a lengthy job process. So Dennis said that during these times, life would be completely empty until he returned. Now, when Dennis turned six, his great hero, his protector, that's what he called his grandpa, dies. But not in like the just regular traumatic way. So Dennis comes home one day, right? And Mm -hmm. his mom's crying. Mm -hmm. So he's like, hey, mom, like, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And she's all like, well, do you want to see your grandpa? Uh, sure. Oh, okay. Where's grandpa? He's in the kitchen. And he prances into the kitchen because he's so excited to see grandpa. He didn't think grandpa would be home. And he goes and there's just an open coffin on the kitchen table. And it's grandpa. Like, that's how he found out grandpa what? was dead. Like, his mom did not even tell him, like, listen, I know you were close with your grandpa. I know you love your grandpa. She was just like, you want to see grandpa? Go in the kitchen. Like, he had no idea that his grandpa had died until he saw grandpa laying dead in a box. So he's like, what? (laughs) Yeah, his grandpa died. But (laughs) you know what's not dead? Love. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Love is in the air and other things are also in the air. So with Valentine's Day coming around, maybe, maybe you don't want to go visit your parents or your grandparents that you love. Or maybe that significant other that lives across town. Maybe you're like, listen, so much is in the air right now. I don't think that I should make this trip. But I want to send you something that's customized, that's perfect, that really symbolizes you and me. Like maybe, not just that, maybe you're the type of person that has a hard time expressing feelings to say out loud and you want to send someone hey i care about you and i really love you love book is exactly what you're looking for ever thought about the idea hey our love story could be a freaking book 
I mean, a very short book, but like I could write a book. Well, Love Book makes it so easy. I think it's really just like the perfect gift for someone who has everything or maybe someone who just needs a little bit of love. You can revisit your fondest memories, list the reasons why you love someone, and you can customize your book. They're characters that you can create to look just like yourself, just like the recipient, and you can use all of their features to make them look unique. You can choose their hairstyles, their outfits, and then you can make them the main character of the book. It's for the lazy, but it's also for the people who really want to customize every single page. So you have the option to personalize each page as much as you like, or you can use the express option and create a complete book in just a few minutes. You got a lot of boyfriends? This is the one for you, okay? You're like, boom, 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 done. (laughs) They are perfect for any occasion, but especially for anniversaries, birthdays, and of course, Valentine's Day that is just around the corner. So make sure to visit lovebookonline.com slash rotten to receive a special 20% discount only for you guys. Again, that's lovebookonline.com slash rotten. So uh, after he just like, cries in the kitchen because he's like um excuse me i was expecting to see my grandpa like making a toast i don't know sitting here reading a book and now he is just dead in a coffin like what is wrong with you mother i am six years old so his mom tries to calm him down sort of and she's just like well grandpa's in a better place now i mean i get it like this was her dad too so maybe she was super emotional but really not a good way to introduce death to your six-year-old son Mm -hmm. and so she was like grandpa's in a better place now but she never really elaborated so dennis said that he at first felt really 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 upset with the fact that if grandpa is in a better place now why the fork did he not take me like why didn't he take me with him like was there is it an expensive trip or something like what's going on he just felt really depressed and like he felt abandoned now he would start going on walks after his grandpa passed on all of the places that his grandpa used to take him he became really reserved if anyone tried to show him any sort of affection like if an uncle or an aunt tried to give him a hug he would just completely reject it he would just flat out would not know how to react just really really uncomfortable now Mm -hmm. he had a very tricky relationship with his grandma and his mom because he resented them he felt like they gave an unfair amount of attention to his other siblings he just felt like they're your favorites like you don't even care about me the only person who cared about me was grandpa And that caused him later to kind of resent his own siblings as well. I mean, he does later on get a little too creepy close with his younger sister. I'll get into that. But uh, yeah, so far, he's just like resenting them. So what he would do is because, like I said, his grandpa had died. um, Well, I didn't say this, actually. His grandpa had died while at sea during his work they Mm. retrieved his body and brought him back so he was a fisherman so he was always at sea so what he would do is little dennis would go to the water he would walk into the water and simulate drowning so he would still be tall enough to stand but he would dunk his head underwater and just like pretend to drown and he would consistently do this now one day when he's 10 years old why does he do that he said he felt so close to grandpa oh So like that was the only way he could feel close to grandpa. So at 10 years old, he goes out into sea. He simulates drowning. Now, at this point, he had gotten a little bit too deep where he was like barely able to stand and keep his head above water. And while he's simulating drowning, like dunking his head underwater, it started pushing him out further. So the tide pushed him out further and he actually began to drown. And he would have completely drowned to death if it weren't for someone who came to save him. So when he experienced this, he believed that his grandpa had pulled him out and he started feeling like this tranquil feeling like he was like oh this is tranquility like i'm with my grandpa again but in reality another boy saw him flailing around dragged him out of the water and now the boy sees dennis just kind of like limp on the shore like he had carried him out of the water he is breathing he is alive but he's just kind of like knocked unconscious and that is at this point the boy decides to masturbate onto dennis just like 
look at him and I guess masturbate on him. Are you I serious? Yeah, so this is really odd, but you'll see this all kind of like, we'll do like a full circle moment, but like not in a good way. Yeah, it's like oh a whole full God. circle moment. But then moment. how does he know this happened? Apparently, maybe he was like in and out of consciousness, oh. but like he woke up and there was a lot of white sticky residue all over him and stuff. And so just and he was still six. He was 10 at this point. Yeah, yeah. And so his early teenage years after this moment, I mean, I would say that he was probably really traumatized. He claims that he wasn't. But like, I'm sure that's incredibly traumatizing when you're 10. You just haven't really categorized it as trauma. So his early teenage years, he was really just confused about his sexuality. He felt like he was attracted to men. But at the same time, back in the day, it wasn't widely accepted. So he tried to suppress it and suppress it and suppress it. But he also didn't ever want to be labeled. So later when the police arrest him and they start asking him questions he would say things like you know for record's sake you can call me a homosexual for record's sake but it seemed like he didn't necessarily define himself like in one particular group or another he was just like i don't know i was just pretty confused most of the time so when he's a teenager he didn't really have any serial killer tendencies so he wasn't really violent towards people not towards animals he didn't do any bedwetting i mean there seemed to be a little bit of sexual abuse and when i say a little bit i'm talking about the boy who masturbated on him when he was brought ashore but Mm -hmm. then also he said that an older teenage boy one time just like molested him and was like touching him Mm -hmm. um i don't think there was any like penetration that happened but there was a lot of just like molesting like he was touching him Mm -hmm. but he said that the it wasn't unpleasant like, that's what he said about it. So, again, I feel like it's traumatic. I just don't think that he maybe categorized it as traumatic. Maybe his brain felt better being like, no, no, no it was fine. It's OK. It's yeah. chill. So I think there was a little bit of sexual abuse for sure. Now, he d- d- also wasn't necessarily bullied. So that's where it gets confusing. So he wasn't like bullied and ostracized to the brink of being crazy. Like some kids were like, oh, I think he's gay. And they would kind of make fun of him, but not really to the open either. So for most things that I read, it seems that a lot of people talked behind his back but never straight to his face Mm-hmm. So he wasn't like getting beat up at school or anything of that sort. Now, one day he volunteers to search for a missing man in the local area. Um, him and his friends are like, hey, this guy went missing. Let's go help look for him. So they joined a search party and they found his corpse. He had drowned at night and he had washed ashore. And th- he said that this was his second time seeing a dead person. And it was just so strange. So then his mom gets remarried to a man by the name of Andrew Scott, who becomes his stepdad. And they all move in with Andrew Scott. And his mom ends up having four more children with Andrew. So now we've got seven kids total, which is a lot. And Dennis initially hated Andrew. He said that he was unfair and just like really mean, too disciplinarian. But then he slowly started to respect him. So I don't know if that means anything. And this is around the time that Dennis becomes close to his sister, his younger sister by the name of Sylvia. They would talk to each other. They would play games with each other, which is a lot more than what Dennis did with his other siblings, his stepdad, his grandma, like his mom. Like he was the closest with his younger sister, Sylvia. Now, what became alarming is that one day he's thinking about it. He's like, listen, I hate the fact that I'm into boys. Like, I wish I wasn't into boys. I think it's annoying. I wish I was just into girls. But for some reason, I'm not that into girls. And he's thinking about it. Like, why am I into boys? Like, why are all these other boys at my school not into other boys, but I'm into boys? And he realizes that all of the boys that he was physically attracted to had similar facial features as his younger sister like they either had like the same colored eyes like the same nose structure and he was like oh my god i know why it's because i like boys just because i love sylvia as a younger sister and so maybe that sort of love got little miscommunicated in my brain and now i love boys who look like sylvia 
And so he thought that the cure to all of this was to sexually molest Sylvia. So he started touching her and groping her. Um, again, there was no rape, but it was, I mean, he sexually fondled her. Okay, straight up like he molested her. His own younger sister, because he felt like if he touched her, get it out of the way, it would get rid of the feeling. But it didn't. What? Yeah, he was obviously still attracted to boys afterwards. So he never attempted any relationship or sexual experiences during middle school, high school, just like during most of his teenage years. He was attracted to a lot of guys. He never acted on it. And that's around the time when I said he was, you know, molested by an older teenage boy and he described the experience as not unpleasant. So at 15, Dennis is like, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> He's already having like a midlife crisis at 15 years old, right? And he just didn't get along with his family. So he's like, I want to get out of here. I want to do something different. So he decides to join the army. Now, when you're 15 years old, you have to take a series of tests to confirm that you're capable of joining the army. Like, are you intellectually capable? Are you emotionally capable? Like, we got to make sure that you're not going to do some dumb shit when you're 15. And so they find out that during these series of tests that he's above average intelligence and he excelled in things like history. And so in the army, he wanted to be trained to become a chef. He just really loved cooking. He learned how to butcher animals, which kind of comes in handy later. Oh, yeah. So he excelled in the army. He said it during the first three years, it was like the happiest time of his life. Like he was fitting in. He loved that he could travel to different areas, you know, taking different training courses and different bases. Like he could just move around. He was mobile now he would go on a very strict shower schedule where he was scared of showering with other army colleagues because he might get an erection a little bonbon because you know he was attracted to men so if he saw these men butt naked he'd get a little boner which is completely fine but he did not want to get exposed for being gay right or bisexual so he would shower alone and he would often masturbate in the shower now i feel like in hindsight a lot of people made this out to be like oh my god you know because he's a serial killer right but this feels pretty normal this this feels like every college dude going to the shower alone to masturbate instead of in front of all your dorm roommates like it just it just seemed like an okay thing to do and so eventually he gets stationed in west germany and oh my god you know what i need to look up jeffrey dahmer was also stationed in west germany <laughs> I just <laughs> that is so I don't know why i needed to look that up i was like this feels a lot like jeffrey dahmer um or, or, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer feels a lot like Dennis Nelson. Sorry. <laughs> don't get offended. Okay. So anyways, in West Germany, he started drinking a lot. And one time him and this German youth, they get drunk. They get so drunk that they both pass out together. And he woke up first and he looks over. He sees this German dude just like knocked out. And he's like, wow. I like this. Like, I like the idea that this German dude is just laying there unconscious, probably not going to wake up even if I shake him, even if I rattle him, even if I step on him. Like, he'll just be asleep. He's knocked out cold. I like that. And so from then on, anytime him and his army mates would get drunk, he would pretend to be unconscious. Like he would literally have one sip of beer and then be like, guys, I'm so wasted. And then he would knock out in their room because he's, you know, too unconscious to walk back to his room. Mm -hmm. So he would knock out on their bed and hope that one of them would sexually molest his unconscious body. Oh, he, he, oh, wow. So he likes the idea of seeing other people unconscious, but also hopes that someone would touch him while he's quote unquote unconscious. 
Oh wow! Yeah. So during this time, he also was obsessed with photography in the army. So he started taking a lot of pictures. Now, were they just any pictures of him and his army mates, like in their little camo gear, you know, eating some MREs and shit? No, he would take pictures of fellow army people, and he'd be like, "Listen, I'm the photographer, so I'm gonna direct this photo shoot. So I want you guys to lay on the ground and pretend that you just got shot." Which, first of all, um, seems like a really alarming thing to do, and probably forks with a lot of people's PTSD. But like, whatever, Dennis. Okay. So they. Would all be like that's really creepy but okay he's gonna keep bothering us unless we all lay on the ground and pretend that we're unconscious or dead because we've just been shot so they would all lay there on the ground he would take these pictures he would go get them developed and then he would put them up on his walls and his dorms and he would kind of play it off as like oh like we're all just friends and i put these pictures up of us because we're friends but a lot of people thought it was weird like the people in the pictures were like this dude's weird you know so what what why does he do that? He likes the look of unconscious people. Like, is that something that turns him on? Oh yeah, he loves like dead things. He'd even put on makeup later on to make himself look dead, and would stare at himself in the mirror. Oh wow! So this is like almost like people, dudes who put like those models on their wall type yeah. of deal. Yeah. Like just oh, they're attracted yeah. to it, right? And he's like attracted to dead people. Yeah, he was like what? a weird necrophiliac. It's when just, does that start again? So he saw the grandpa first. So a lot of people think that it fused when he saw his grandpa who was dead because his grandpa was the only person uh. that he loved. And now he was getting really confused between love and people who are dead. Got it. You know? Okay. So like wow. that's where he was like, okay, so d- should everyone I love be dead? Or like does someone I love, do are they dead? Like d- he was just getting real confused and twisted. Mm-hmm. And he would even go drown himself to try to feel closer to his grandpa. So he had a really weird relationship with death. Yeah. Now, I mean... I don't know, though, because also, you know, my my grandpa died when I was pretty young and I was really close with him. And I know so many people's grandparents died really young. I wonder what it takes to get to this point. Right, right, right. Because I feel like every kid struggles with the concept of death. But like, what happened here where it turned into like, oh, God, now I get turned on by death. Is it something? I don't know. It's just food. It sounds like for you, it sounds like one start has to do with he's pretending that he's not conscious mm. you know even him asking his um his mates to pretend to be dead yeah. that's another step of hey yeah. i kind of like this unconsciousness yeah. or this p- pretend death and mm-hmm. then later on it proceeds to real death right yeah there was actually a youtube channel that got banned or i don't know if they got banned or deleted but um it's like a whole genre where people like messing just with unconscious people now obviously we've talked about it how people like dead people because they're unconscious they can't say no they can't fight back and they just like the idea that someone's dead and then you're like fucking them crazy okay that's necrophilia right but there's a group of people who it's called i believe eye checking where when someone is so knocked out people get sexually turned on by like open opening up their eyelid and seeing them being knocked out and not waking up. What? Yeah, and it's like an area where people will pay money to see that. It's what is obviously that? Is that a kink? illegal. Yeah. It's a kink? Yeah, and it's illegal unless I mean maybe she signed a consent form before she knocked out. Wait, <laughs> so if you're falling asleep, you fell asleep yeah. and I open your eyelids. What does that mean? I mean Is that illegal? I think it should be illegal because if you're like sending them around the internet without my knowledge. Oh, okay. So that's like you are getting sexual gratification without consent, right? Yeah, is that what, yeah, what, what like the line you're, is? Yeah, and then you're also 
recording it. I mean, oh, yeah, I don't know where weird. the legal line is, but I'm sure it's really blurry and you've got to get arrested for that. Yeah. And so there was like this YouTube channel of a guy who was posting his friends knocked out and he would eye check them, like meaning flipping open their eyelids and they would be like wasted drunk. And so they passed out. So obviously it like looks like they're passed out when he lifts their eyelids. And a bunch of people are leaving in the comments like, I love your content, dude. <laughs> what? Yeah. And so if you look deep into it, there's something called eye checking where people like to see videos of unconscious women getting eye checked just like their eyelids being lifted to that show sounds, that they're crazy unconscious that sounds more like drug than anything yeah it's just a, a crazy weird little i feel like everything's kinky these days i'm so <laughs> yeah <laughs> like these days i feel like i could go into a grocery store fart and then someone be like that's kinky i like it and i'll be like what <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like everything can get kiki. <laughs> and so that's when he starts going out with his army mates. And of course, at this base, a lot of people started messing along with prostitutes. So all of his army mates, they'd be like, let's go out. Let's get some prostitutes tonight. It'll be great. It'll be fun. And most of the times he would go out with them. But then he would later like make up an excuse. Like, I've got to go water my cat. Like something really dumb. And they'd be like, water okay. Like, I know you don't really have an obligation because we all are in the army together. Like, it's not like you have a separate job and you're like, oh, I got to go to work early tomorrow. Like, we all get up at the same time, dude, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there would be some times where he couldn't finesse his way out of it. Because like I said, Dennis was really paranoid about people thinking that he was a homosexual. Mm -hmm. And so he would constantly be like, no, 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 I just, I really, like, something came up. Like, I gotta go poo. Like, I gotta go do this thing. And they'd be like, God, what's wrong with you? And then he'd be like, okay, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, let's just, let's just get wasted and get some prostitutes, right? He would just be peer pressured. Mm -hmm. And the couple of times that he did have sex with women, he called it, <laughs> overrated <laughs> he said it's overrated and depressing and so at this point he gets transferred yet again to a different base now this base was in a very dangerous area so he was actually the chef at a prison like he was a prison cook right and one time he gets kidnapped by a taxi driver on his way to prison to work so he gets kidnapped and i think that they knew that he was part of the army right so they were like oh like maybe i'll get something out of this i'm not sure why they kidnapped him by a taxi driver who beat dennis up and then put dennis in the trunk of the taxi car and so finally the taxi parks somewhere he opens up the trunk and the taxi driver is looking at dennis and dennis decides to grab the jack handle that's inside the trunk knock out the taxi driver and then put the taxi driver in his own taxi trunk uh-huh that was the only cool moment in dennis's life yeah everything else goes downhill from there but well, uh what happened? he, just he evaded death and again he said that this again made a very complex relationship with death for him he killed the driver? He didn't kill him, but he liked the feeling that he had been knocked unconscious and placed in a trunk. Oh, he enjoyed it. Yeah, and then he oh. knocked the taxi driver unconscious and then placed him in a trunk. And now he was getting all confused. Like, there was just a lot going on with death, you know, in his life. He just, huh. yeah, it was really weird. So at this particular base, it was unlike any others. He had his own private room. So he didn't have any more dorm roommates. He didn't have to, like, go to the showers at a specific time so that he could masturbate he could just masturbate on his bed in his own comfort you know and that's when what i like to call the phase of masturbation experimentation started happening which honestly is a very healthy process to go through 
just maybe not in this way right so uh he bought this freestanding mirror like a mirror that doesn't have to be propped up against a wall or like a it was like a long mirror like a total mirror right and mm-hmm. uh he positioned the mirror with his head out of the view so that only his body was in the mirror view but he could still see the mirror and then he would masturbate and he would visualize another man instead of him which is crazy because like i would like to say that i go through like ups and downs of my self-confidence but not once not once was like you know what i want to have sex with myself like i'm so cool like that like i i, I just think it's really crazy no maybe you should maybe you know? i should <laughs> but he would visualize another person in his place so like he would be masturbating into the mirror yeah. but he'd be like oh that's jerry that's jeffrey dahmer you know what i mean <laughs> sorry but he'd be like that's jeffrey you know like he wouldn't be like that's me and i'm just staring at myself he'd be like oh i'm watching jeffrey do this to himself yeah i guess back in the days there's not a lot of uh porn resources so yeah and so he said that at that point he was able to split his personality visually speaking so um i don't want to like i know that the movie split made it hard to differentiate between split like split i guess something like that or whatever with um i don't know like i'm not trying to say that he's claiming that he had did is what i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. he just said that he could be dominant and passive in the relationship at the same time okay you know so that's like kind of his mind process which is a little interesting right speaking about experimentation that you just really don't need to do nor should you do nor do you want to do let me talk to you about my hair experimentation that i went on a journey for literally years ago i was in the same rut that maybe many of you guys are facing which is you go to the drugstore you buy these you know hair products you're like oh this looks like a good shampoo how do i know the packaging looks cool you use it your hair just looks whatever okay it didn't change anything sometimes it makes it more dry sometimes it makes it more oily and you're just like really if you don't love your hair you need to leave your current hair care routine back in 2020 we don't need her this year you need to try function of beauty instead i have been talking about them for years and i have been using them even longer and my hair has never been healthier tell him babe it's like a shiny horsetail okay that's really rude but like after i blow dry he's like wow it looks like silk shiny horse silk Listen, if I told you to use my function of beauty formula, it may or may not work for you. And that's because your hair is different from mine. But that's the best part about function of beauty is that every single person gets a formula that is customized to their hair. So first you take a quick but very thorough quiz and you tell them a little bit about your hair type and then your hair goals. Like, do you want long hair this year? You want to volumize your hair? You want that oil control this year? From then, the function of beauty team will determine the perfect blend of ingredients and they'll bottle up your formula deliver it to you along with like these really cute seasonal stickers and all of the instructions you need to get that silky glossy hair that you deserve there are over 54 trillion possible formulations so when i say it's formulated for you i'm saying it's formulated for you also every ingredient they use is vegan cruelty free they never use any sulfates or parabens you can also go completely silicone free if that's what you like they have completely personalized formulas for body and skincare as well so you can customize that too all at the same time go to function of beauty.com slash rotten to take your quiz and save 20% off your first order that applies to their full range of customized hair skin and their body products go to function slash rotten and let them know that you guys heard about it from us and get 20% off of your order again that is function of slash rotten 
so then eventually he starts thinking while he's masturbating because like i said masturbation experimentation someone write a book using that title honestly it's a good phrase okay so um he's like what should i think about today what should i think about and then slowly he starts thinking about the dead soldiers bodies that he's seen and that's when you know it's getting alarming yeah 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 just like dead soldiers he was like i've seen that before and he starts masturbating to the idea of dead soldiers and then he gets real classical with it so there was this one painting called the raft of medusa and it was a 19th century oil painting so like a really fancy like one of those art history majors probably could tell you 25 million things about this painting right and it was an old man holding the body of a limp nude naked young boy as like he's also sitting next to another naked boy who's dismembered and um he's just like sitting there and it's supposed to be like poetic and shit but he was like you know what i'm horny like let me masturbate to this so he would masturbate to like a i don't know if it was like a print copy of the 19th century oil painting but he would think about the raft of medusa are you See, serious that's what I'm saying. like super classical i would wow. almost dare say classy of him to do so but not really because like what why not the mona lisa or something like that doesn't that's have creepy honey I mean, okay, but like, you know what I mean? Like, or like uh, someone just sitting there, like not necessarily um, dead people. Like this is supposed mm-hmm. to be like an emotional, tumultuous, like you don't really, yeah, yeah, I yeah. know that they had some kinky paintings in the 19th century. Like you could totally find some kinky, kinky stuff. Yeah, but yeah. he was like, no, the raft of Medusa. Like yeah. why? <laughs> and so his favorite fantasy later on became a young man who dies in war. So a soldier dies in the war field. He's laying there on the ground. An old man walks up to it and washes the corpse with a rag and then spread eagles, the dead soldier's legs and starts performing necrophilia just having sex with the dead body that was his favorite fantasy which is really crazy okay especially crazy to think that he should probably relate more to the dead soldier that's getting abused than the old man i don't know who he thought he Maybe was he is imagining yeah he is the dead, dead soldier. soldier but either way he was so into it wow So 11 years after being in the army, he finally ends his military service and he moves back home. Now, once he moves home, his mom starts nagging him. She's like, why don't you have a girlfriend? When are you going to give me grandchildren? When are you going to start a family? Come on, Dennis. Time is ticking. Why don't you know any girls? Do you want me to introduce you to someone? You you don't. My neighbor's got a friend who's got a friend whose daughter might like you. You know, like she was doing all of this. And he was like, oh, God, this is so annoying. Like, shut up, mom. Right. And that's when all of his siblings and he sat down to watch a documentary about gay men now all of his siblings were disgusted by it they were like ew right they were just like forking rude and he started speaking up for the gay men he was like what are you talking about like why is that ill what's wrong with you like who's to say love is not love like why is your love better than their love i'm getting heated okay you know who's to say that like why are you grossed out why are you grossed out right and a fight ensues and his older brother starts telling his mom dennis is gay dennis is gay Because Uh he was like, there's no reason for you to be so caught up and so crazy and wound up about gay men if you're not gay. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much outs Dennis to his own mom. Now, there was no solid proof of this, but his mom was really upset. His mom was like, no, you can't be gay. And Mm -hmm. so Dennis was like, "Okay, like I'm moving out of here. So he never spoke to his brother ever again since that moment. And he would have very sporadic contact with the rest of his family. So he moves out of Scotland and moves into London. Right. So Mm -hmm. to the UK. 
and he has a brief about a year of work in the police force in London. Um, during this time, he started visiting a lot of gay pubs and he would have a lot of just like sexual encounters with men and they were all kind of one night stands. He wanted a lasting relationship, but they were all one night stands. And he said that it was completely soul destroying and he would only lend his body to his partner in search of inner peace. So it was just kind of poetic. I don't know. He like really over dramatized things, but he just really wanted a long term partner. So he eventually leaves the police force and starts working at that job center where he would still work when he gets arrested. So he held this job at the job center for a really long time. He helps unskilled laborers find employment. And everyone said at work that he was just quiet. He was a conscientious employee. His attendance was kind of mediocre, but he worked overtime a lot. And eventually he became an executive officer. Now, during this time on his off days, what did he like to do? Did he like to go out in search of that long term relationship he's looking for? Because sometimes you don't find that at a pub. You know, sometimes you find that go into these matchmakers, maybe try something like that. Right. But no, he would spend all of his time putting on makeup to make himself look dead, like blue makeup to make his like skin tint a little bit gray and blue. And he would even like mix up fake blood and like drip it down the side of his mouth. And he would stand in front of the mirror, stare at himself and masturbate to his dead face. Oh, yeah. Wow. Which is like a really interesting king. That's when he meets a man by the name of David Gallican. So he was a 20 year old man who was being threatened outside of a pub that Dennis goes to a lot by these two big dudes. And Dennis was able to get David away from his bullies and was like, listen, David, you look really beat up. You look like you're sweating. You look like you're a little alarmed. Why don't you come back to my place and you can eat and we can drink more because, you know, this pub is dangerous. So they go back to Dennis's place and they start eating. They start drinking and they get along really well. That's when Dennis learns that David is unemployed and he's homeless and he's moving from one hostel to another, right? Mm -hmm. And so out of nowhere, when the morning time came around, obviously it's time for David to leave because, you know, it's a one night stand. Like, we're not in a relationship. You should get out of my house, right? Uh But Dennis just doesn't want him to leave. So he looks at David and goes, hey, uh, you want to move in with me? What? And David is looking around at his tiny little apartment and he's like, um, and Dennis is like, listen, we can get a bigger place. Yeah, it'll be fine. And so obviously David had nothing to lose because right now he was homeless and unemployed. So he was like, yeah, okay." So they end up renting a flat on Melrose Avenue in London. Yeah, it was a nice big ground floor flat. He had used about like a thousand pounds that his biological dad had left him when his biological dad died recently. So he had used that money to pay like the I guess like the what do you call it security deposit on this place. And it had access to a private garden in the back, which becomes really pertinent to the story. And so they were like, we can keep a dog. And it's pretty cheap because the place needed a lot of renovation. So they're like, okay, let's move in. So within a couple of days of meeting David, David and Dennis get a new flat together and they move in together. Flat is is also like an apartment. Because Dennis, I guess, just really didn't want to be alone. And David really had nothing to lose. So he's like, whatever. Like, my name's not on the lease. Let's go. Did he really love him or like him? No. Like David? I mean, kind of and kind of not. So they move into the flat. And like I said, it was incredibly cheap because it needed a lot of renovation. The flat itself was big. They also had a private garden in the back. So they're like, okay, we're going to get a dog. Now, the whole plan was that originally Dennis was going to help David find a job because he works at the job center, right? But then he was like, wait, maybe not. Maybe, David, you should be a stay-at-home dude and you can help fix up the flat, you know, because it was really nasty. So maybe you can do some, like, work in the back, make the garden livable and shit. And 
And so Dennis really loved being the breadwinner of the house. He liked being able to control David. He felt like David could never leave because he was the one that makes the money and like provides the housing and stuff. And mm. they never called each other their boyfriends, but they just kind of stopped seeing other men. And I don't know if that has to do with the fact that they live together. So it'd be difficult to bring home other men. Mm-hmm. But um, they just kind of became somewhat exclusive. Now, Dennis would say that he was sexually attracted to David, but they barely, rarely ever had intercourse. Really? Yeah, and everyone's like, well, that's marriage, so get over it, Dennis. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> They're like, don't be a big weenie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And so they get a dog named Bleep. Oh, yeah. You bad Bleep. Uh-huh. They get a dog, and they name it Bleep. Is it a good Bleep? I mean, I guess so. Bleep, come here. Like, that's such a weird name. Bleep. Mm. Come here, you little good Bleep. Oh, you're a bad Bleep. Within a year of moving in together, they start fighting a lot. So they eventually start sleeping separately in different rooms and they would bring home different casual partners. So like Dennis would bring home someone. David would bring home someone. And eventually David moved out and Dennis got really, really depressed. He wanted someone to immediately move in and take David's spot, right? But no relationship that he would have with any other men would last more than a few weeks. And no men wanted to move in with him. They were just like, whoa, like I just met you. What are you talking about? And so Dennis started to believe that he was unfit. Like he was like nobody wanted him. Nobody loved him. Nobody wanted to live with him. Like maybe he was just a shitty roommate. Like he was just getting really down in the dumps about it. And so other than his occasional one night stands, he started living a life in just really intense solitude. Like 2020 before 2020, you know, type vibe. Then he meets a little boy by the name of Stephen. So he saw Stephen Holmes outside of the pub that he goes to. Now, Stephen was 14 years old, but Dennis claims that he thought that he was at least 17 years old. Okay, so Stephen's out there trying to buy drinks at this pub and he fails like the bartender's like, you're literally not of age. So bye. Mm-hmm. And so Dennis hears this and he's like, hey, uh, why don't you come back to my place? I've got drinks. So mm-hmm. they go back to his place. They start drinking. They start listening to music and they have a really good time. They even crawl into the same bed together. They fall asleep. Now, in the morning, Dennis wakes up first. And this is kind of like the same experience that he had in the army in Germany. He looks over and Stephen is knocked out cold. Mm -hmm. So that's when he's like, man, I'm just really sad that Stephen's going to leave. Like, I'm so sad to even go to the restroom right now, because if I get up and make noise, Stephen's going to wake up. He's going to gather his things and he's going to be like, well, it's nice to meet you and then leave. And I I don't like that. I don't like that. And he he's looking over at Stephen, who's asleep. He starts caressing his hair. He starts, you know, touching his face a little bit. And he gets up from the bed, goes into his closet, grabs a necktie. Now he slowly walks back to the bed and slips it under Stephen's neck gets on top of his chest and pulls as tightly as possible, starts strangling him with a necktie. And he said that Stephen's body came alive immediately and they struggled and struggled. Eventually, they ended up on the floor and finally Stephen grew limp. Now, Dennis realized that Stephen was still not dead. He was just unconscious. So he runs into the kitchen and Dennis fills up a plastic bucket full of water and he drowns Stephen. Are we seeing all these weird connections here? Drowning, yeah. the unconscious body, just all of it. So he drowns yeah. him. There was um, no more struggle, he said, but he wanted to make sure. So he waited for all the bubbles to stop coming up in the bucket of water. So he really, really drowns him. Then he lifts Stephen up. He places him on like a chair in the living room. Now there's water dripping from his hair. And he, that's when he realizes, oh, my God, I don't even remember this guy's name from last night. I was so drunk. Steve? 
Stephen, yeah. He like uh-huh. completely forgot his name. So he's like, who is this guy? And he said that he was just in complete shock. Like he can't, he couldn't believe that he killed someone. He made himself some coffee. He started smoking some cigarettes. He's like, what do I do? What do I do? Right. And that's when he, his dog bleep walked over and he's the bleep sniffed the dead guy on the armchair. And so Dennis freaks out and is like, get away, dog. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Which is kind of crazy because you just murdered the guy. But like, OK, your dog sniffing him is so crazy. Right. And so he starts thinking, what do I do with Steven's body? What do I do? So he takes the necktie off of his neck and then carries him into the bathroom and washes him in the bathtub. And he just said that his body was really limp and floppy. And uh, he would completely dry him with a towel, dried his hair, put him on the bed. And even though there was starting to form some discoloration on the lips and the face he still felt like it was worth it because now his friend couldn't leave him oh yeah and he said in quotes the beginning of the end of my life as i had known it i started down the avenue of death possession of a new kind of flatmate new kind of what flatmate which is a roommate he's like a flatmate you're my flatmate (laughs) do you get it yeah flat Oh, yeah, wow. but flat is like apartment. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. like a, a possession of a new kind of roommate. Oh, wow. He would then go on to have 15 of these types of roommates. So Dennis thought that the corpse was beautiful. He didn't really understand why he killed Stephen. He just said that he didn't want him to leave because he had spent Christmas alone and he didn't want to spend New Year alone. Like that was like his whole thing. Like I don't want to be alone for New Year's Eve. So then he would get ready for work the next day. He would say goodbye. Like bye Stephen. I'll be home soon. And then he would come back home. He would eat dinner with him and he'd be like oh yeah well my day at work let me fucking tell you a Karen walked in today and he would just talk to Stephen as if Stephen was alive he would also continue to put makeup all over steven to make him look a little bit more alive like to hide all of the bruising on his neck um it didn't seem like the discoloration bothered him as much as the bruising on the neck did so it's like he wanted to see dead people but didn't want to see the cause of death Mm. so like that's kind of a little bit where he's different from people i think like other serial killers Whereas, like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer kept, like, skulls and shit and wanted to make a shrine. (laughs) So he just didn't really, maybe he wasn't as twisted. I'm not sure. So then eventually he ends up going to the hardware store and he buys an electric knife, a pot, and he tries to dismember the body. But he just, like, couldn't do it. Like, he was like, I love this guy, you know? Like, I can't, I can't pull him apart. I can't do this. What do I do? What do I do? So instead, he dresses Stephen up in new clothes and he said that he really wanted to have sex with the corpse. Like, he really wanted to. So, you know, Dennis is like, well, I can't have sex with Steven until I shower because that would be rude. That would be rude to have sex with someone when I'm all dirty and sweaty. So I need to go clean myself up. So he goes into the shower. He comes back out, lays down in bed with Steven. And that's when he's like, man, I can't get hard. Like, I can't get an erection. So then he throws Steven off the bed. And just like covers him in a sheet and falls asleep on the bed. And then he just like proceeds as normal again, makes dinner, watches TV, talks to the body that's just lying on the ground. And then finally, he he was he hasn't done anything to the corpse yet. So he will never actually penetrate a corpse. He will do something called um, incurable sex. (laughs) exactly that's the exact word you can quote me on it sex so it's when you put someone's thighs and you cross the thighs and the penis goes in and out of the thighs that are crossed that's what he yeah so he so he's been doing that to no he will only do that to like a few of his victims but he never did it to steven so what does he do he would sometimes sit on them and just masturbate onto them while he looks at them 
that he never does penetrative sex which is interesting but what i don't find interesting is later he brings it up as if like whoa guys i know i killed 15 people but i never penetrated i see (laughs) okay that's not how it works dennis but uh so interesting right and so finally he was like okay well i need to put steven somewhere so he decides to pull up the floorboards in his apartment and he loosens them up and at this point he's like okay i'm gonna stick steven underneath these floorboards put the floorboards back but rigor mortis had set in so obviously he's too stiff to be bent into the floors to go into the floors so he just like props him up against the wall and he's just like stiff up against the wall and he just starts masturbating onto steven's body and then the next day, Dennis massaged all of Stephen's limbs to like loosen it up and then covered the corpse underneath the floorboard. So, I mean, I think at this point, the rigor mortis had passed and he was on the next phase of decomp. But mm. um, I just thought it was interesting that he was like massaging this dead person mm. like a fucking chiropractor. Now, a week later, he decides to check up on his friend Stephen. So a week later, he opens up the floorboards and he's obviously super dirty. Like not only is he decomposing, but he's like in the dusty ass ground underneath the floorboards. So he drags Stephen back into the bathroom, washes Stephen, puts Stephen back underneath the floorboards and he uses the same bath water to take a bath. yeah what kind of lush bath bomb is that yeah so he freaking takes a bath in that bath water and steven would remain under the floorboards for the next seven and a half months i do not know i don't know honestly i cannot tell you why anyone his neighbors or even his colleagues because the smell of decomposition i wouldn't know personally but from what i've heard it like stays on your clothes it like sticks on you as a person you know like it just it's really hard to get rid of that smell it's like kbbq like that's like the worst comparison i can make but no matter how many times you shower after korean barbecue it's gonna be there for a while it's gonna linger like that's how i feel like this is explained but for some reason nobody noticed Later, Dennis would take out his um, victims from underneath the floorboards and he would mask like he would do a bonfire in the garden in the backyard and he would put some tire like some rubber into it to mask the smell of the bodies. And it just because, you know, the smell of burnt rubber is so strong and so distinct. So he would do that three times. And I believe his biggest burn like his biggest bonfire had, I want to say like four or five bodies at once that he had dismembered first. So then immediately afterwards, he meets a man by the name of Andrew Ho. So Andrew was a Hong Kong student who was studying in the UK and they met at a pub. So Andrew said that he was really interested in trying some bondage. And Dennis is like, yeah, yeah, I got it all at home. Like I'm really into bondage too. Like, come on over, right? And that's when they get into some bondage play. And all of a sudden, Andrew said that he put, Dennis put a necktie around Andrew's neck and said, you're playing a dangerous game and just started choking the shit out of Andrew. And so Andrew was able to get away, go straight to the police station. And the police are just like, oh, like lovers quarrel. Like, I'm sorry, it got too kinky. You couldn't handle the heat. Then get out of the kitchen, you know. And they did question Dennis, but he said, oh, like we were just doing it. He said he liked it. He said he liked bondage play. So we were doing some bondage play. We were also really drunk. Like both of them were wasted, you know. Mm -hmm. So at that point, Andrew never pressed charges. The police never further investigated dennis they just kind of left meanwhile steven is underneath the floorboards during all of this what like dead underneath the floorboards what you know floorboard seals all of that yeah that's what i'm saying they just built different in london huh <laughs> 
so um, I just want to talk to you guys about an email that I was writing to our accountant the other day. It was I, honestly, I was just trying to ask a really dumb question. I don't even remember what it was about, but I remember while I was typing, I really was so tempted to write call an ambulance, but not for me. And then I was like, OK, this is like not appropriate right now. The only reason I knew that because I have lost my absolute sense of self is because I use Grammarly. Listen, I am so happy I found Grammarly. Honestly, this is really organic because my fiance actually introduced me to Grammarly because I told him I hate emails. I don't like responding to emails. They give me anxiety because every time I respond, it's like, oh my gosh, what if I spelled something wrong? What if this isn't the tone I need? Like, what if it's not professional enough? And he says, hey, I found out about this app. Just download it on your phone. It's called Grammarly. I downloaded it. Wow. <laughs> so it helps you have clear, effective communication and it catches way more than just spelling mistakes. Honestly, I thought going into it, it would just for spelling, but it's not. I have Grammarly Premium and it gives you real-time feedback and insights on helping you elevate your writing through tone, word choice, clarity, and it helps you not ramble on in your emails. So whether you guys are sending recaps to your team or like to your boss or applying to new jobs, before any of these, give yourself peace of mind with Grammarly. You can improve your writing on all of your favorite sites and apps, whether it's Outlook, Gmail, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, don't just say it, make a statement. That is what we're going into 2021 with, with clear, flawless text that's going to impress everyone. Elevate your writing with 20% off of Grammarly Premium by signing up at Grammarly.com slash Rotten Mango. That's 20% off Grammarly Premium at G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash Rotten Mango. So this was two months after the attempted murder of Andrew and he runs into a Canadian tourist by the name of Kenneth and they meet at a bar. So Dennis finds out that Kenneth is a tourist and he's like, oh my gosh, like that's amazing. Why don't I take you to some London landmarks? And Kenneth is like, you know what? It's my last day in London. I still haven't seen A, B, C, and D. So yeah, let me go with you. So Dennis starts driving him around, showing him around all these crazy landmarks. And then finally he's like, do you want to go back to my place and like share a meal together? And of course, Kenneth is like really excited. He's like, wow, thank you so much for showing me around. I'd love to go to your place so they go back to Dennis's place and they start drinking they start eating and they're getting along really well now Dennis says he doesn't remember exactly what point in the night that he felt this but he just got so upset with the fact that Kenneth was flying back to his home country of Canada tomorrow so he's like oh no this isn't good so Dennis says hey uh you want to listen to my favorite song Kenneth's like, sure, yeah, what, what is it? Here, here, it's better with headphones on. So he gives him a pair of headphones and starts playing that song on like a, well, I don't know what they had in the back in the day, like a CD player, a Walkman, I don't know, right? So he starts playing that song and Dennis comes up behind him, wraps that headphone wire around his neck and starts choking him. And he actually was able to drag him across the floor while with like that headphone string. Like these are some crazy strong headphones. OK. And then he eventually started drinking some rum. He sat down next to Kenneth's dead body and put the headphones into his own ears now and started listening to music and just like was hanging out with Kenneth's corpse. So then later he goes and buys a Polaroid camera and he starts taking pictures of Kenneth's dead body and suggestive poses. He washes him. He takes the corpse to bed with him. He even laid Kenneth on top of him, spread eagle on top of his body while he watched TV for hours. Now, this is a little strange to me because like, I don't know if you've ever even like had a dog on top of you, but it's so uncomfortable. But mm -hmm. he just placed Kenneth's dead body on top of him and just watched TV for hours. 
And then he would place him right underneath the floorboards with Stephen Holmes. He would take him out multiple times in the next couple of days to sit him on the armchair next to him and watch TV together. So he really just enjoyed his company. Kenneth was one of the very few victims where he would cross Kenneth's legs together and penetrate through his thighs, like have sex with his thighs. So, uh, yeah. And then five months after Kenneth's murder, he meets a 16-year-old by the name of Martin Duffy. Now, Martin was hitchhiking to London without his parents' knowledge because he was 16. And he had spent four days just sleeping at the railroad station because he didn't have enough money to go back home. He didn't want to go back home. And it was just kind of like one of those rebellious teen moments. So Dennis sees him sleeping at the train station and he's like, hey, you look exhausted. Why don't you come to my place for a hot meal? You could shower. You could sleep on my bed. And of course, Martin being exhausted, exhausted he's hungry he was like oh wow you're so nice why are you so nice yeah i'll go with you so he goes with dennis falls asleep on his bed dennis climbs on top of him and starts strangling him and again he's limp but he's unconscious but he's still alive so that's when he drags martin to his kitchen fills up the sink with water and starts drowning him he also bathed him just like he did his other two victims and he said that this was the youngest looking body he'd ever seen which is a little just weird. So then he would kiss him. He would caress him. He would compliment Martin's body to Martin's dead body, I guess. He would just be like, wow, you have really nice thighs. Like talking to a dead person. And he would masturbate onto the stomach of his corpse. So then once the signs of decomposition got too bad, he would put them underneath the floorboards. And after this, he started killing with a lot more frequency. And the crazy thing with Dennis Nilsson is that most of his victims haven't been identified. So he had killed five more people during this apartment phase, um, which brings us to a total of eight people. He had attempted to kill a couple more people. And then only one of those five that he had killed during this time was identified so far as David Sutherland. And he was just really, Dennis was having some bizarre behavior. So he would do things where he would like just fall, like just start crying, like in the middle of killing people. Like he would just cry. He would try to resuscitate a victim at one point. Like he tried to bring a victim back to life after he murdered them. And then afterwards, he would stand in front of a mirror and just like spit at his own reflection in the mirror. So, I mean, there seems to be a lot of just like self-hatred going on. Sometimes he would lay next to the dead body and listen to classical music and just like burst into tears. So I don't know. He was just being real dramatic. Like, just don't kill people then, dude. He was just doing the absolute most, okay? So then he starts doing these fire disposals because at this point, the bodies in the floorboards, they're full of insects. They're really, really smelly, especially during the summer months. He said that he would open up the floorboards and he would see maggots crawling out of the eye sockets and the mouths of his dead victims. Oh my. So he tried placing deodorant under the floorboards. He would spray um, insectant repellent around the flat twice every single day because these maggots, they're not just going to like stay in the body. They're just going to be like, let me see what else is out there. And he said that that was trying to prevent them from getting near him. So eventually he would have a huge fire with six bodies that he dismembered all of the bodies and then placed them behind in his garden, started a barn fire, threw in a rubber tire. And he said at this point, neighborhood kids came and watched this big bonfire and he thought it was just very symbolic yeah holy moly and so after the fire burnt down he went through the ashes with a rake and he was looking for any bone fragments right and he sees that a skull was still kind of put together so he just started smashing it with the rake and then he just threw away the ashes like he would his normal trash 
And then he had three more victims. And then finally, his final victim at his Melrose Avenue ground floor apartment was a man by the name of Malcolm Barlow. So Malcolm was 23 years old and he was slumped against the wall outside like a building. Right. So Dennis sees him on his way home and he's like, "Uh, are you okay?" And Malcolm's like, listen, I have epilepsy. And because of my epilepsy, I have to take a lot of medication. And it just like makes my legs super weak. So I'm a little dizzy right now. So Dennis is like, oh, what? Why don't you come to my house? I'm like literally live a block away. I'll call you an ambulance. Call an ambulance. Okay, sorry. And um, yeah, we can go from there. So Malcolm goes to Dennis's place and they uh, call an ambulance. So the ambulance comes and takes Malcolm away and Dennis did not kill him. So the next day, Malcolm goes to Dennis's house to thank him. So he shows up and he's like, I just wanted to thank you. Like if it weren't for you, I probably would have like gone into epileptic shock. Like you're amazing. He like brought some like little knickknacks, like some food. And so they start eating together. They start drinking together. And Dennis started strangling him and put his body underneath the kitchen sink. So Dennis would claim that this was not a sexual killing, but the fact that um, he just didn't really like Malcolm. And Malcolm was kind of a nuisance is what he said. Like Malcolm didn't want to leave. So he was just like, oh, like, okay, well, I got to go. Like I have work early. You know, you should go. And he was just like, oh, well, like, let's have one last drink. And that's what Dennis said. I don't know. Okay. Dennis just said that the dude was getting annoying. So he had to kill him. Yeah. That is so freaky. And And he had no interest in him. Yeah. Right. He put him under the. Yeah. Wow. Kitchen sink. And so later his landlord comes up to him and is like, hey, uh, I need you to move out. Like, while he's got bodies underneath his floorboards. So the landlord's like, yeah, yeah. You know how you moved in here because it was so cheap because, you know, it needed renovations? Well, I want you to move out so I can renovate the place so I can bring in new people and charge them $50,000 million, you know? And so Dennis was like, well, I don't want to move out. And you can't make me move out because I'm sure there's laws against that. So the landlord was like, how about I pay you a thousand pounds? And Dennis was like, I'll fucking move out when you want me out, you know. And that's when the day before he moves out, he has his third bonfire, his final one, where he dismembers the rest of his victims and puts a bunch of rubber to disguise the smell and just burnt a bonfire in his backyard. And I don't know if it's because I live in California where um, even just like lighting a candle gets everyone on edge and they're like, whoa, whoa, calm yeah. down, you know. Yeah. But like. Really? You can just have these bonfires in your backyard and just like burn rubber and nobody nobody calls an ambulance? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. But um, he even said that he was kind of amazed at how little people cared about his bonfires. So I can't be the only one, right? Yeah. So that's when he moves into a unit in the Cranley Gardens apartment. That's the one with the drainage issues. So he moves into the attic. Now, here's the weird thing, right? You might think that the attic poses a couple of problems. First of all, it doesn't have access to a private garden um, to have a bonfire. It's also there's no floorboards also because you're not on the ground floor. So there's nowhere to store bodies underneath your floors because you would essentially just drop them to the level right below you. Uh huh. So that doesn't make any sense. But Dennis said, yeah, well, that's like the whole point. Dennis was like, I thought that I could stop killing once I moved here because it would be so hard to dispose of bodies and I don't want to kill anyone. That's what he claims. It's a little weird. So during the next first two months that he moves into this apartment, no men were assaulted when they had went into Dennis's apartment to have sex, to drink, to whatever they did. None of them were ever hurt or assaulted until Dennis's birthday. November 23rd, he invites 19-year-old Paul Nobbs to his house and starts strangling him while he was asleep. Now, Paul makes it out alive. Now, Dennis claims the only reason Paul is alive is because Bleep walked into that room at the same exact moment that he was strangling the shit out of Paul Knobs and Bleep wagged its tail. And for some reason, that just like made Dennis stop strangling the human. 
because the dog just like came in and wagged its tail. I don't know, right? Uh-huh. So then Paul wakes up the next morning. He goes into the mirror and he's like, "Whoa! Like, why? Why is my neck so red? Like, what's going on?" Right? And Dennis is like, "Whoa! You should call an ambulance. Like, you should get that checked out. You look crazy, dude." And so he's like, "Yeah, okay. Well, nice to meet you. I'll see you. Maybe I'll see you one day, right?" So he leaves. He goes to the hospital, and the doctor's like, "Uh, I think someone tried to strangle you. Like, I think someone tried to kill you." And Paul's like, "Nah." And he just like goes about the rest of his day and he lived. He did not die. And then John Howlett, 23 year old that Dennis meets at a pub, he decides he's going to come over. They're going to drink. And that's when he starts strangling him. So John Howlett was the first victim in the Cranley Gardens apartment. So at this point, the minute that he strangles John, he's like, oh, my God, my friend is coming soon to visit like in like a day. What am I going to do? Like, it's not a massive apartment. There's really nowhere to hide the body. Like he didn't really have like a, a closet that the friend wouldn't go into. It was just like his room, a bathroom that the friend would use, the kitchen that the friend would use. Like he needed to do something. So he's like, OK, what do I do? So he starts dismembering John's body and starts flushing pieces of his flesh down the toilet, exactly like Jeffrey Dahmer. OK. So starts flushing his, you know, flesh into the toilet. But then he's like, man, this is taking too long. And the toilet's getting a little slow now, right? Uh-huh. So he's like, what do I do? So he boils a bunch of water, puts his head in there with his hands and his feet so that he can boil the flesh off of those. And then put other parts of him there so that he can make the flesh more, um, you know, like braised, like tender to flush. A lot more tender than like raw meat. And then he would continue flushing. And then a lot of the bones, like the torso, like these big bones that he couldn't get rid of, he just like put them into plastic bags and put them into his little wardrobe. Just like put them there. And was like, this is good. He did sprinkle it with salt. So there's that. I don't know if that was like marinating or seasoning. I don't think it was because he wasn't a cannibal. But he did sprinkle them with salt. I don't know if that was supposed to be like a smell thing. So anyways, his friend comes over, doesn't suspect and a thing, what, 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 and leaves. After he cooks the body, he sprinkles salt? Yeah, and then just like puts it into a plastic bag. Oh. Yeah. So okay. he tried flushing as much flesh as he could, and then most of the body like still was just in plastic bags because there's only so oh. much flesh that you can fillet off of a person. I think salt helps um, air uh. dry process. Honey! No, we do like like fish, you know, jerky fish. You you add some salt in the air dry. Uh, anyways. So what do you do after? Like what what does it, does it make it tender? I, no salt. I think salt help helps it dry. Process, oh, so not like process. smelly and moist and stuff. Yeah, I think so. Oh, God. So then a man by the name of Carl Stoddard. This one's a doozy, okay? So Carl Stoddard is a 21-year-old man who they met at a pub. And Carl was recently depressed because he had just gotten out of a failed relationship. So Dennis is at the pub and he's like, man, there's other fish in the sea. Don't be don't be so caught up about that boyfriend of yours, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, why don't you come over to my place and we'll finish drinking over there because the bar is about to close. And Carl's like, no, I'm good. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, we're not trying to have sex, dude. Like, I get it. Like, I'm not trying to be your freaking... Um, what do you call it rebound your rebound like i'm just trying to like make you feel good like let's just go let's just go so carl's like okay fine so carl goes over to dennis's place and they start drinking now carl falls asleep in a sleeping bag on the ground the dennis was like here's a sleeping bag you know i don't think you should go home because you're so drunk right and right before carl falls asleep he remembers dennis saying be careful the zipper on the sleeping bag is a little weird and he was like okay thanks and then he fell asleep and he ended up being awoken up because he felt strangled he felt like he couldn't breathe he was like what's going on right he wakes up and he hears dennis say stay still 
So at this point, I mean, his first immediate thought was, oh, shit, like somehow I had gotten the zipper stuck and now I'm suffocating in the sleeping bag. And Dennis is trying to free me because he's like, stay still. Like maybe he's trying to unzip it. Like I can see his hands on the zipper of the sleeping bag. Right. Uh So then he falls unconscious again and then he wakes up. But this time his head is being submerged in cold water. He said he felt like he was drowning. Carl even said, no more, please, no more. And then he slowly fell out of consciousness again. And then he slowly awoke up again and he was placed on Dennis's armchair and he realized that Dennis thought he was dead. So he's like, what the fork, right? And then eventually he starts kind of breathing. He was like in and out of consciousness for the next three days. Dennis realizes this. And instead of killing him, he like tries to nurse him back to health. Like he starts trying to massage him to increase circulation. He puts him in the bed, places him with blankets, like just tries to feed him, keep him like, well, I guess you know, fed and make him drink water and stuff. And it was just the strangest thing. Finally, after about three days, Carl wakes up and he's like, what the fork happened? And Dennis is like, you don't know? You had this crazy nightmare and you were just like throwing your arms around in the sleeping bag when you were drunk. And somehow you got just tangled up in the zipper of the sleeping bag and you started suffocating in there. So I tried to take you out, but you were unconscious. I was like, oh my God, he lost a lot of air. So then I had to pour cold water all over your face to try to wake you up. And for the past three days, I've been nursing you back to health. Dennis then later drove him to a railway station and said, well, I hope to meet you again one day and just like said bye. Now Carl gets onto the railroad and he like goes back home and he's just so confused. So he goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, I feel like someone tried to kill you. And Carl's like, no, 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 like I got tangled up in a sleeping bag. And the doctor's like, I think someone tried to kill you. And he's like, no, nah, nah, you don't you don't get it, dude. Like, you, you haven't seen the sleeping bag. OK, so then he leaves. And for some reason, Carl, his brain suppresses this traumatic experience. Carl literally forgets about it until months later. He's reading a horror novel. And for some reason, all of a sudden, his brain was like, oh, my God, I feel like I remember this crazy, vivid memory of me like being suffocated in a sleeping bag. And so he tells his family and he's like, did I ever say anything like that? And they're like, no. And he's like, that's so weird. I feel like I feel like I was drowned and like in a sleeping bag. God, why don't I remember that? So his family is like, you need to go to a psychiatrist, okay? So they take him to a psychiatrist and all these psychiatrists are telling him, your brain is making up these memories, you know? Maybe you read about it, maybe it's this or that, but we're going to prescribe you some antidepressants. And for the longest time until the police arrested Dennis for being a serial killer, he did not think that this was real. Everyone told him it was fake memory that his brain created. Shit that your brain does to yeah to protect you, I guess. And then eventually the police found Carl and was like, hey, are you the guy? Because Dennis told us that there was this one guy who got away. His name was Carl and he was in a sleeping bag and he killed him or tried to. And then he nursed him back to health. And Carl like really lost it from there. So Carl's family still believes, I mean, I too, believes that Carl was a murder victim because even though he survived, there was just a lot. So there was the first thing of survivor's guilt. You know, there was a lot of victims who died in Dennis's apartment. Why didn't Carl? And Carl Mm. became so depressed. And there was such a long period of him thinking that he was crazy. Like everyone kept telling him, these are fake memories that you're thinking, right? So he believed that he was crazy. Mm. And so he became so depressed that he would later just... He thought maybe, why didn't Dennis kill me? It would have been better if he did. And then it switched to him being really confused. Is Dennis my murderer or is he my savior? Because he saved me. Why did he save me? 
Mm-hmm. And then I believe briefly, allegedly, according to some sources, Carl would actually write to Dennis in jail and would ask about these things and started developing some kind of kind feelings towards Dennis. And that made it even more difficult for Carl because mm. he was just like, what is happening? So then there came Graham Allen, a 27-year-old and the 13th victim, I believe. Um, they met while they were trying to like hail a taxi and Graham accepted Dennis's offer to have a meal at Dennis's place. And while he was eating an omelet, he started to get strangled, okay? So then Dennis keeps Graham in the bathtub for three days, dismembers him, flushes him down, and it's just a whole, whole ordeal, right? He couldn't flush most of it, so he puts a lot of um, Graham into like a... like the bags inside of his closet with the other dude john and then his last victim would be steven sinclair who was 20 years old who came over for a meal and he said oh steven here i go again and he strangled him with a necktie and a rope he boiled his head and his hands and his feet and dismembered and tried to flush his body down the toilet I found the solution for a lot of problems, okay? This is just one of them. So my sister's about to give birth in like a week or two, okay? It's kind of crazy. I'm about to be an aunt. And ever since my sister got pregnant, I have been hounded with the question, when's yours? And I'm just like, guys, calm down. The one thing that I have that has completely made my mom and my dad stop asking about, hey, when's the time? You're getting older. You're now in your mid-20s. It's going to be your late 20s. Maybe you can't have a kid later on. What You need to do it now. The time is taking. And I said, listen, I know how much time I have because I took my modern fertility test and it has given me so much peace of mind with modern fertility you just get a simple finger prick that you can do in the comfort of your house right and it unlocks tons of insight into your reproductive health I'm talking about egg count your menopause timing if your hormone levels indicate conditions like thyroid disorders maybe you have PCOS that you didn't know about all of these things are good to know whether or not kids are in your future and I love the fact that it's easy and affordable with fertility tests you go to the doctor and it costs over like a thousand dollars sometimes even more but with modern fertility it only costs 159 dollars to get the same exact information and if you guys go to modernfertility.com slash rotten you can even get 20 dollars off of your test you get your test in the mail and you literally prick your finger i'm so scared of pain and blood but it was painless then you mail it back with a prepaid label and you get your personalized results within 10 days and again it's still a lot of intense information So that's why they actually give you a one-on-one fertility nurse to review your results with you and options for your next steps. They just answer all of your questions and I covered all of my bases. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering you guys $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash rotten. That means your test is going to cost $139 instead of hundreds or possibly even thousands of dollars that it costs at a traditional doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash so then here comes the really dumb part after all of this is happening he's having difficulty flushing steven sinclair down the toilet so what does he do he writes an angry letter to his landlord saying listen my drains are blocked the situation is intolerable and you need to fix it the other residents here are hated too i already know this i spoke to the other residents so the landlord the next day sends someone to go into dennis's apartment and fix the drainage and he's like 
oh what are you talking about i'm not the one that wrote that letter like i'm not experiencing any issues bye so the plumber just gets sent away because he was actively in the process of dismembering steven's body in the kitchen so there's no way he could come in so he was just like oh that wasn't me bye and so that was just the weirdest thing right so then the next day he sees the plumbers downstairs underneath the house going through the piping that night remember the first day where the two plumbers were like hey should we call our boss it looks like human meat and that's when dennis was there and everyone heard dennis say Man, looks like someone's flushing their Kentucky Fried Chicken down the toilet. Which is just like an odd thing to say. So I think yeah. he was trying to plant a seed that it was just like fried chicken instead of, uh, I don't know, Stephen Sinclair, right? So he's like, man, there goes our neighbor again with that KFC. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? So then now we're back to the beginning of the podcast where he gets caught. He gets arrested. He gets brought in because he says he's killed 15 people. So they send the trash bags in to be analyzed by a pathologist. And they said, wow, this guy did some pretty good work, which is not a good thing. Like he has good knowledge on how to dismember a body cleanly. Inside the bag, there was two dismembered torsos, various internal organs, a human skull that was completely devoid of any flesh because he had boiled it, a severed head, a torso with arms that was attached, but the hands were missing because he had a he had a little thing for boiling hands. He just felt like it was, I don't know, easier to get rid of the hand meat, I guess, because a hand is a lot of bone and limbs and not as much flesh so he needed to boil it so that he could dispose of the bones right and dennis almost immediately starts confessing like he's not trying to hide anything he was like yeah also inside my apartment there's more bags of flesh that you completely missed and so the police go back and they start going through and there's like just more heads more torsos, more flesh in these bags and he's like oh by the way also i killed about like 12 to 13 men at my former address called 195 melrose avenue so you should totally try going there and they go there and like i said a lot of these people were you know killed in the bonfire like he disposed of them so the police investigated excavated the backyard of that melrose avenue apartment and they found over a thousand bone fragments in the garden like tiny little fragments jeez I mean, it was crazy. So then during the interrogation, he he kind of said it as if it was like this amazing thing that he was like, well, I never had penetrative sex with the victims. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not a disgusting, you know, human. What are you what's wrong with you? He also said that he threw away any valuables so that they couldn't ID the victim, even expensive watches. He threw it away. He didn't keep it. He's a good person. He was just interested in the company of the boys. So his MO went on something along like this. He would meet someone at a pub. He would invite them over. They would drink. He would then strangle them. A lot of them died via drowning. So it was either strangulation or just knocked unconscious and then drowned. So the cause of death was either or, right? And then he would bathe them. He would shave their chest because he liked like a certain shave on the chest. So he would shave the dead body. He would apply makeup to the neck so that any of the bruising on the strangulated part would go away. And he would dress the victim up and he would just start talking to them. He would typically masturbate while he was standing next to or on top of the dead body and then he would have um the intercural sex sometimes which is through the thighs so when they asked you know i mean this person's dead why not just rape them why not just you know go full-on necrophilia he said because these people that he killed were too perfect and beautiful for the pathetic ritual of commonplace sex what what a weird dude 
Yeah, and he said that the dismembering thing was really, really hard. So, you know, like I said, with the Melrose Avenue, he would put them under all the floorboards and the dismemberment process before he would do bonfires came weeks or even months. You know, with the first yeah. victim, it was seven and a half months. They were just left under the floorboards, like just literally decomposing. He said that there were maggots all over the place. But Ugh. even though he hated it, he would throw up by the sight of the maggots. He uh-huh. still masturbated on them to say goodbye. To say goodbye. Yeah, I just don't know how you could even get an erection at that point, but he did. So then he would take them out of the floorboards. He would grab salt to get rid of the maggots, which I don't. That's so gross to me. (laughs) And then once he got rid of the maggots and the flies, he would vomit while he would dismember them because more maggots would fall out every time he cut into them. And they were just completely filled with maggots. And then when the police asked, like, do you feel remorse? Like now that you're caught, do you want to like do some damage control and say that you were so sad about what you did? And he said, I wish I could stop, but I just couldn't. I had no other thrill or happiness. I took no pleasure in the act of killing but i worshipped the art and the act of death honestly he's on something like i think that he's trying so hard to be a poetic but person but i think he's really just like a dommer like just a nasty ass dude like you're just a monster you're kind of a freak dude like you're not necessarily this like crazy just like death like death is an illusion like you're no don't try to be shakespeare right now you're a serial killer so while he was being held in jail before the trial he said that he was innocent till proven guilty that's the system right i'm innocent till i'm proven guilty so i'm not gonna wear my prison uniform people who wear prison uniforms are guilty people and i'm innocent till i'm proven guilty and the police guards were not having it they were just like just put on your fucking uniform so and he so, was naked so he would go he would just every time he was in a cell he would just strip down butt naked and he'd be like innocent till proven guilty and then he would just freaking like helicopter it yeah and then at one point the prison officers were getting so frustrated with him and as his act of defiance he went into his basin which is like their toilet bowl thing and he just like grabbed his poop and just started throwing it at the officers so before he was even convicted for any murders he was actually convicted of assaulting prison officers and he would have to spend 56 days in solitary confinement so the trial despite confessing in full detail with little remorse to all these murders he pled not guilty by reason of insanity so in the uk they call it like diminished responsibility just like same thing right and there were three psychiatrists who studied him one of them said he had mental issues and should not be responsible for the murders another one said that he had no mental health issues and he was just a murderous ass dude just like a villain just a monster and then another one just like couldn't come to a conclusion so what happens then so at this point he stood trial like the three psychiatrists they gave their statements but what really put the hammer on the cough the nail on the coffin you get it were all of the attempted murders a lot of them came forward and they testified including carl Mm. so he was eventually found guilty and sentenced to life in prison yeah one month into his prison sentence he was attacked with a razor and he needed like 89 stitches on his chest and his face so they placed him in the vulnerable inmate section which gave him like extra security what yeah in his prison life he kept really busy i hate when serial killers do this like i'm all about prison reform but i hate when serial killers do this so he started translating books into braille i mean i guess that's kind of nice but still and he spent a lot of time reading and writing he was allowed access to paint and compose music on a keyboard on a fucking keyboard a keyboard those things are expensive in prison he wrote a 400 page autobiography 
talking about all of this. Yeah. I mean, he just really wanted to reach out to all these journalists. It seems like he likes the attention. And then eventually in May of 2018, he died during surgery. So he had like an aneurysm and they tried to remove a blood clot. And apparently he died in a lot of pain because it's a very painful procedure. But that is the story of Dennis Nilsson and the crazy story of how he got cut. Because, I mean, I feel like when you think serial killers, you think about like how they get caught and it's like all played out like a movie, like this intense moment. But a lot of them are just dumb. <laughs> like a lot of them are just like flushing. And then they're like, hey, landlord, something's wrong with my pipes. I'm going to sue you, you know. And it's just like, what? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. So he is considered the British Jeffrey Dahmer, in America at least. And I mean, there are a lot of striking similarities. I mean, just the sheer fact that they started their active, they were active the same year. Mm -hmm. um, Jeffrey Dahmer, I think, lasted three more years before he was caught. Mm -hmm. And just like the process, they went through the same dismemberment, flushing in the toilet. They also boiled their victims to make the flesh easier. Jeffrey Dahmer was a little bit more meticulous about it. Not meticulous. Meticulous sounds like he's a smart person. He just was um, a lot more loud about it. So he would literally get an axe and like a sledgehammer. If you guys haven't listened to that podcast, that one's a good one. That sounds really wrong to say. <laughs> but yeah, there's just so many similarities on this one. And they yeah. were just both caught in like some weird ways. Listen to that podcast to see how Jeffrey Dahmer was caught. It's from Polaroids. Yeah, Visco Girls are shaking right now. It's caught by Polaroids. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. Let me know. What are your thoughts? And do you really think he just did this all for companionship or he tried to make up a sob story afterward? Being like, I was so lonely. I just did them because I love people. And I hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.